This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Hey, hey. Wednesday, August 31st. And you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria Devetti in Toronto. I'm Ryan Jesperson in Edmonton. Good morning, my friend. How is it August 31st already? I know. I was um, just going to say the same thing, but then I thought it made me like a small talk about the weather guy. Yeah, but like sometimes small talk about the end of summer is worth it because it's just like, where the fuck does the time go? You know? We got to commiserate together. Yeah. I was I was uh, the other day complaining about a, a golf tournament I was working and the fairway was littered with yellow leaves. Uh, and then I realized that it was the most privileged bitching of all time. And so I <laughs> tried my best to keep it to myself, but it's true. It is upon us. It's okay though. Fall is when things typically sort of pick up in the news cycle, which which is great because it's been such a slow and boring summer. Yeah, you say that sarcastically, of course. Um, yeah, and I mean, like the last week has been no different, right? Like Quebec is in full election mode now. They go to the polls October third, and it's worth noting as well that uh, the leaders um, in Quebec are actually in heightened security mode as well. Like they're. Uh, not taking any chances. They're traveling the province with like bulletproof vests with heightened security teams, et cetera. Um, the prime minister is supposed to be making a cabinet shuffle later today or a readjustment, I suppose. Um, Liz May has been cleared to run in the green leadership race. So that's great. Um, the UCP had another debate last night. How did that go? Yeah, well, I mean, this is uh, getting closer and closer to selecting the uh, leader of the United Conservative Party in Alberta, which, of course, will become de facto the next premier of Alberta. And uh, everybody's bets seem to be on Danielle Smith taking this one. But it's never a guarantee. We've seen it before in Alberta. We've seen it across Canada before. Everybody thinks that the favorite is this person. They, they hold this uh, coronation over a series of weeks or months, and then it ends up being somebody different. Uh, right now, it's it's Danielle Smith that's got all the chatter. She's trending weekly uh, across the country, so it, it remains to be seen. But yeah, this this debate last night it's it centered around probably the most salacious uh, moments, uh, the most attention grabbing ones. Anyway, was Danielle Smith really being critical of her party, the United Conservative Party's lockdowns during COVID? Says that the NDP bullied the opposition NDP bullied the Conservatives into implementing those. COVID measures says that uh, nobody was looking out for the little guy. Danielle says her government would look after the little guys, like the restaurant owners and the kids that weren't able to go to school. So it's it's been a race to the bottom in conversation about COVID measures. Everybody seems to be talking about the little guy in these circumstances. Nobody's really talking about like, you know, the little guys that were in ICU or like yeah. the doctors and nurses that were. Anyway, I digress. Feels like we're rehashing something from 18 months ago, to be honest. I mean, it's the same thing over and over again, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, just really quickly, a few other uh, headlines from the week. I mean, Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, has died at 91. Bell Media is still somehow dealing with the Lisa LaFlam fallout oh, just man. this week. CNN discussed the issue on their morning show. Um, so, yeah. And another follow up from one of the stories we touched on very briefly last week. But the liberals have now promised like a full review of how they hired an organization with that known virulent anti-Semite to conduct anti-racism training. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be, um, that'll be interesting to see what went wrong there. Right. 
Um, and Regarding, yeah. Hang on, before we move on, I, I just wanted to quickly put something on your radar if it's not there already, yeah. as well as our audience radar. Uh, in the context of, of Mikhail Gorbachev's passing, uh, are you aware of the Liza Outlives Twitter account, <laughs> yeah. Sapria? That's actually how I found out. <laughs> That's how I found yeah. out, too. That's, yeah. <laughs> so everybody needs to follow Liza Outlives, and every time that someone of note passes away, they let you know that Liza Minnelli, in this case, has outlived Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union. I have to say, of all the great Twitter accounts out there, the replies on this one are amazing. You can go see for yourself at Liza Outlives. One of the top stories across the country, obviously, I think that remains relevant, right? The healthcare crisis and provincial governments looking for support. Ottawa trying to figure out the best way to play this. It opens up an interesting question, Supriya, and that is what do you do when the system is woefully understaffed and you desperately need to hire people? Yeah, and you know, if you are in a desperate situation and you need to hire people in a pinch, uh, that situation can often lead you to rush to hiring people where you're not training or you're verifying credentials as you should. And unfortunately, that could lead to very dangerous situations. And we saw one just last year in British Columbia in 2021 where a nurse was working with forged credentials. And so when you're understaffed, you know, verifying those credentials and providing best in class training is actually even way more important. And if you need help with training in a regulated industry, you need to know about We Know Training. We Know Training is not just a standard LMS platform. They specialize in high stakes training for associations, regulators, governments, credentialing bodies, et cetera, with the highest degree of quality and trust. And just to give you a few examples, you know, they work with credentialing partners like hunter educators and licensing organizations, liquor and cannabis retail workers for provincial regulators, medical associations, accredited training for licensed professions like real estate or insurance, and many more highly regulated industry where high quality training really matters. Since 2005, We Know Training has helped hundreds of North American associations and organizations deliver the highest quality training and testing solutions. Their platform and learner verification technology makes sure you're credentialing the right people with a high degree of trust. If you want a training partner who will provide high stakes training without the hassle, give We Know Training a call. You can learn more on their website at weknowtraining.ca. The lead. So, Ryan, you know we have to talk about this video of uh, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland being harassed in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Um, you know, it, it, we've seen the video. I'm sure our listeners and viewers have seen it or heard it. But let's just replay it so that we can, you know, really get into uh, some of the, I don't know, fallout and discussion sense. Here is video of uh, Elliot McDavid is his name um, going up to Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. Great, that's Christia. Christia, what the fuck are you doing in Alberta? You fucking traitor, fucking bitch. Get the fuck out of this province. You don't belong here. So... Yeah, where to start? Okay, look, I mean, first and foremost, I think the composure of uh, Minister Freeland, as well as, you know, the staff uh, that is with her is like, just so amazing. The fact that they don't miss a beat, you know, when her name is called, she like looks up and is like open to engaging. Um, And then clearly when he's, you know, looks menacing and threatening, um, they get into the elevator, call, you know, cool, calm, collected, 
whatever, and they go up, um, you know, to the floor that they were going to. But it, it, what's interesting about this, from my perspective, Ryan, is that like the coverage in the initial, you know, days and even hours um, once this video went live late last week was like, all right, you have to condemn this, right? And um, I don't know, it, it's just like simply asking politicians to condemn X. Um, like, you know, politician X condemns Freeland harassment. Like, is that all we need? Is that the only bar here? This is the only bar that we're, that we're asking to clear. And, you know, for what it's worth, like the premier Doug Ford came out pretty, pretty quickly after, and, and in no, um, you know, no hedging, no like dilly dallying straight up, you know, condemned it. Uh, James Moore, former, you know, conservative, uh, cabinet minister also condemned it, uh, at least Red, of course, as well. And a, and a bunch of other like higher profile, conservative politicians did, but like, it's not just about condemning it. It's about like doing shit to ensure that like this stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, this was, and, and of course, like, I think most people know that we just played a snippet of that. I think we played about 12 seconds of the video. It goes on, you know, before when he sort of walks up to the city hall reception, he says he wants to talk to who's in charge. Nobody really knows what his, his intentions were, what drew him there, whether he was um, you know, to use the word stalking, whether he was he was, you know, there intentionally to interact with or confront the deputy PM. But then it continues after as well. He's dropping C bombs. They're proud of themselves in the parking lot. They remain proud of themselves. Uh, he did an interview with Charles Rosnell, an investigative journalist that's in the tie. People can check it out. An abbreviated interview because he ended it when Rosnell's questions started to dig a little bit deeper than than McDavid wanted to get into. Uh, but it's got a bigger conversation going about, like we say right here, the offline effects of online rage. And that's about a whole lot more than Elliot McDavid or Christia Freeland or Grand Prairie or Alberta. Or is that just me as an Albertan desperate to take the spotlight <laughs> off our province again? I don't know. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I'm, I would agree completely with that. And, you know, what's interesting, you mentioned the interview with the Tai, And when, you know, the, the journalist started doing a little bit more digging, it turns out that part of the reason why uh, Elliot McDavid is so pissed is because of this, like, disinfo, misinfo that's been out there about the liberals trying to ban all sorts of um, fertilizers um, and how that would impact farmers. And so Jonathan Montpetit over at the uh, at the CBC, you know, points this out that there are politicians that are, you know, peddling this notion of this fertilizer ban. Um, and, you know, that will make people angry. If you are saying that the liberals are going to do something that is then going to be taking food off of you know your children's plate um i'd be pretty angry about that and I, I don't know i just think we have to start having a better conversation about how we go about uh, preventing some of this and so like putting out things that are that you know to be objectively false should be one of those things that politicians and other higher profile people with platforms should you know if they're responsible should want not to do yeah and, and it's not even necessarily just Oh, the liberals are are looking to introduce a policy that would maybe take food off people's table. It's framed as an attack on Canadian farmers. Yeah. And it's been interesting to see over the past number of years. You know, we talk about these this like trust polling that agencies will do. And oftentimes they'll say, you know, what are the most trusted professions? What are the least trusted professions? And one of the least trusted professions has typically been politicians. One of the professions that's seen a real drop in their trustworthiness, uh, at least as it's 
portrayed or conveyed by people is journalists. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting here is that, number one, I've not seen a lot of, uh, what, do, what do you want to call it, sort of like clarification from journalists on what the liberals are trying to do here. But what we also see is for the average ordinary citizen that's not as politically involved, I guess I'm talking about people that don't subscribe to and download seriously every Wednesday, <laughs> they're putting a lot of trust in politicians that are abusing that trust, that are torquing the talking points of stories like these and misleading them, quite frankly, for that politician or that party's political gain. And we probably need to talk about that as well, because that's a betrayal of trust within the House, 100 percent. And like, let's just, you know, call something as, you know, we tend to see it. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that journalists may not have um, really dug into this issue. You know, there's a gajillion things going on there are newsroom cuts, whatever. I think also it is incumbent upon the government, in this case, the liberal government, to actually explain policies um, clearly and effectively and communicate in a way that's transparent. So you're you are giving people information and you're not letting um, any sort of room for disinfo or misinfo to sort of thrive. And that's clearly what, what has happened with this fertilizer ban. Um, it's actually a reduction of like 30%. And I think if you are going to do something that, you know, off the bat, you're not giving enough details or there are questions and you're not really answering, um, you know, the concerns that people are bringing about a policy, then yeah, people are going to exploit that. And I'm not excusing the fact that people are pushing something that is blatantly false and that is very clearly making people angry. Um, but I think the liberals need to get a little bit smarter about this. And I think governments all over need to get a little bit smarter about this. Yeah. And, and you know, also at the same time, I, I it, this reminds me back in uh, 2015, 2016, when Rachel Notley's NDP government was relatively new in Alberta. And one of the first big ones they stepped in, Sapria, was this Bill 6 legislation. They wanted to introduce it about farm safety and worker protections. There were workers' compensation implications. But you start talking about how family farms operate. A lot of times they'll get their kids out there working when they need them. They've done it for centuries. They get the neighbors out there working when everything needs to be combined at the end, you know, around harvest time. And so this was framed by the political opponents of, of the day, at that time, the progressive conservatives that had just lost that election big time as, again, an attack on the family yeah. farm. And the NDP in retrospect, if you talk to Rachel Notley to this day, one of the reasons why Bill 6 blew up in their face like it did, it was the first really big explosion within that NDP government. It, was, it wasn't around the legislation. It wasn't around the motivation behind the legislation, which was to protect farm workers if they break their backs falling off a Quonset. But... The communication of it was so poor that it caused big problems for that government. And we see examples of that time and time again. Let's get into another facet of this. And that is like, why are we so bad about talking about the kind of rage that we're sort of seeing at this moment? I know I have my own sort of theories and takes, but I, I'm curious to, to hear what you think about this, because like it seems as though all we ever do is like ask for people to condemn something once it's happened. Um, but we don't actually get into the, you know, root causes or trying to figure out um, why so many people and in particular, you know, younger or youngish uh, men tend to fall into these online radicalization, you know, traps that are out there. I find us, uh, I find me uh, and then us collectively as a society, maybe we're just too dismissive. Maybe we laugh things off or shrug things off that make us too uncomfortable. Uh, maybe we as a society aren't capable 
of having meaningful conversations about things that are proving to be really problematic. That city, Grand Prairie, uh, that incident in their city hall, I mean, I, I, I described it as, as, as shocking, appalling. I said, and it's even terrifying. And some critics came out and said, oh, like, you know, like somebody, somebody raises their voice to you. Somebody confronts you with something you don't like and you're terrified. That kind of idea. What I mean by that, I think is pretty obvious, is that that situation could have gone really sideways in a hurry i mean the the amount of anger in that man's voice if if you're watching this on youtube if you've seen the video the posture the way his shoulders are his gait as he walks i mean that is fury and uh you know i guess he threw on the brakes before something really horrific could have happened of course i'm talking about physical violence but you listen to that tone of voice that confrontation could have been a whole lot worse And, and maybe that's on us because we're not taking it seriously enough what do you think I mean, we definitely don't take it seriously enough. Um, And I think the other part of the problem is that we tend to conflate all these issues at once, right? So somebody going up to a politician and harassing them, whether we're talking about Jagmeet Singh in Peterborough, that was, you know, earlier uh, this summer, or whether we're talking about, you know, Christian Freeland in in Grand Prairie, um, it's, it's different than like the kind of hate that we're seeing against female journalists, particularly black and other racialized journalists, right? I know you um, recently had a, a real talk roundtable um, talking about this, and we tend to conflate all these issues as one. But you know, the the hate that like Erica Eiffel, um, Saba Itizaz, and um, Rachel Gilmore are are getting, which are you know, I'm only naming three out of many that are on the receiving end of uh, of this latest torrent of coordinated hate. Um, that the object there is to silence them, right, and to and to try and get them to be quiet about the issues that uh, you know the the hate mongers don't want out there. Um, being angry at a politician is is somewhat different. Um, and I think we tend to conflate a lot of these issues. And I think the other problem when we talk about this is that a lot of our, you know, mainstream or political uh, legacy media um, is set by guys who think anything um, is like a wedge issue. And even something studying like the issue of systemic racism is a wedge issue. And if you think I'm exaggerating, okay, here's a clip of Bob Fife, who's the Ottawa bureau chief of the Globe and Mail, saying just that in March of 2018. Now they're going to try another wedge issue. They're going to do a a study on systematic racism in Canada. Is there really systematic racism in Canada? Go to high schools and universities. Kids of all ethnic backgrounds are hanging around with each other. It's not the Chinese kids with the Chinese kids or the South Asian kids with the South... That's not, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the case, but they, this government has a tendency to tell us how we should be thinking. And that, that's a, there's a potential danger in this sort of um, we know what's best for you type of attitude. So I don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, rehashing that clip because it got a lot of play at the time. But like if you are the bureau chief of like one of the major papers, the major, the paper, major, yeah, yeah, in this country. And you think studying an issue of systemic racism is somehow a wedge issue um, and you're framing it that way, then uh, what hope in hell do we have of actually trying to figure out how to combat like online radicalization and right wing extremism? Okay, so let's shine the light back on us. Where do you think that media and in particular political media needs to do better and not just, you know, putting stories like this in front of people for Canadians to digest and to walk with and to think about, 
but where do you think we need to do better as political media in confronting politicians, for example, that would promote falsehoods? Yeah, so I don't think we're going to fact check our way out of this issue, right? Mm. Like, I think there is something to be said about um, reporting on or reporting, you know, directly and hearing from the people that have fallen down the rabbit hole or that are on the precipice of falling down the rabbit hole and figuring out, you know, why they are, in fact, um, attracted to these sorts of, um, you know, conspiracy theories or misinformation, however you do want it, whatever the issue may be at, at, at the time, because we're never going to be able to just say, well, you're wrong um, and somehow convince people that uh, that is the case. And so I think part of that is getting folks to the fore reporting on these issues that actually fundamentally understand the internet. Um, and that may sound glib, but if you don't actually understand the internet, you don't understand online radicalization or like the algorithmic amplification of certain types of content and you're treating everything as though it's like 1995 still, then you're not going to get incel culture. You're not going to get how like, you know, um, Joe Rogan is kind of like a gateway to a lot of the more um, insidious uh, anti-vax content out there or like the manosphere content that's out there, right? Are, are you saying that that the journalism industry Sorry. needs to reflect society yeah, at large? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a good way of saying that as I was trying to spit that out. Well, yes, what exactly. an idea. You're right. But if, yeah. you know, if, you, if you get some insight into what this man in Grand Prairie told Charles Rosnell, the journalist, was driving him. You know, what what motivated him to be there? What's the source of a lot of his anger? You know, he's under the impression that thousands of Canadians have died from the vaccine. He's under the impression that the federal government is attacking Canadian farmers. I mean, these are the stories that we've just addressed. That's the source of his rage. I talked to Peterborough's Mayor Diane Terrian on Real Talk just a short while ago and asked her about the, the QAnon conspiracy theorists that were trying to arrest all of her police officers and hand them over to U.S. Marshals. Same sort of a thing. Now, we acknowledge that a lot of people are going to fall through the cracks, uh, but I don't think that that means that we stop trying to address this in meaningful fashion. Also, there's this. Do you think this rage index is a positive thing? <laughs> I, uh, I think it's a neutral thing. Do you think it's a negative thing? Well... Should we let everybody know what we're talking about? If, if, if you haven't heard about this, Polera, this polling company, is they're going to do a rage index every month, and they're, they're going to poll about 2,000 Canadians and figure out what we are most angry about, furious, what we're raging about the most. And uh, the rage factor, the rage index is pretty high right now with their inaugural survey. I don't know. I think it's an interesting insight to see what's what's driving people crazy, like these sort of fun radio features back in the day. What's grinding your gears, right? Yeah. You know, what's getting your goat? What's the burr under your saddle? Uh, but at the same time, I think that it kind of serves to reiterate. I was talking to Charles Adler about this the other day. He said they are rage farming and you are the crop. Uh, and I don't know if it maybe sort of pounds home to people that, yes, you are angry. We are angry. We are all very angry. But we are angry, aren't we? Like, I'm angry. Like, are we more not... angry than we were 30 years ago or 10 years ago? I think a little bit, only because the Internet has made us a little bit more angry. And when I say the Internet, I really do mean like certain social media platforms. Right. Um, and I agree with Adler that like we are the crop and rage farming is like, oh, you know, a good chunk of what we encounter. But 
it's I don't know, like you the 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 slide that we just showed there. It's like people on the prairies are are angrier than the rest of the country. Quebec is somehow the least angry. I think that's a little bit interesting. Um, but I just think that you know the combination of affordability and people being very concerned about affordability, right? Um, like Angus Reid recently did a survey that said like 56% of, of folks are, are quite worried about cost of living increases. That mixed with the kind of environment that we have right now, yeah, people are going to be angry. And it's not unsurprising, again, that the slide we're showing is that the PPC and conservative voters are the angriest. Um, and it's not just about the federal government. It's about all sorts of things. And I think that also speaks to the information ecosystem that they're in and the kinds of content that they consume, to your point about the rage farming. Yeah, probably one of the good things for conservative parties is that anger will drive people to the polls. Uh, so that's always a positive. If you're looking for a silver lining on everybody being super pissed off, uh, I guess that would be it. I, I just want to know where this goes from here. Like, are, are we going to become placated or, or less angry or more chill uh, with policy that better fits regions across the country? W would we be less angry with a different federal government or would the anger, or the rage index just shift and all of a sudden, Quebec would be the most pissed off again. I don't know. They're the most chill right now. Well, you know, you'd think that the legalization of marijuana would make us mm. all a little bit more chill, right? And just BC's numbers out. are pretty low. That's good for BC. Maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's why. That's Everybody's chill on the on the left coast. Yeah. But like you ask the next two, three years, I think we get ragier unless we do something about it. And this is why I think we have to do something about it, because I think we look to a lot of other places. And when you do let that rage fester and you do have politicians um, exploit that rage, it doesn't lead to very good places. And I don't think Canada wants to go there. I think you're right. I think that anger is a powerful tool in politics. I think politics or politicians are also one of the quickest ways to address this. Are there bridge builders, though, that are gaining traction, gaining ground on the political landscape? I don't know. I don't see a lot of people. You could maybe point to the liberal and NDP coalition federally as as cooperation across the aisle. I don't know if it does anything to address rage. But as I rack my brain trying to think of an example where politicians have built bridges in front of people to prove it could be done. Maybe that's one. I mean, that's certain. Yeah, that's a good one, I suppose. I can't honestly think of very many others, um, especially in like modern political times. So uh, uh, that's probably the best I would come up with, too, which is kind of sad. It is kind of sad. Like, I, I guess I'm thinking back to I'm thinking back to me like Senator John McCain when he was running for president. Remember that lady? Remember that that, that one yeah. the, the one event that they had and she started talking about Obama and her theories about and, and he kind of went, hey, 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 no, no, no. Like he's, a, you know, no, 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 no. And that, I mean, that was a small thing, but it was a huge thing. Uh, it, it was years ago. Maybe need a little bit of that sprinkled into the mix. To, sounds cliche, but two but years ago. that can be caught, though. You're either a good person and you're a decent person or you're not, right? And you want to, mm. and you want to, I don't know, you want to fight fair. Um, and John McCain, you know, clearly wanted to, wanted to set that woman straight. Um, and if you don't have that in you, I don't know if that kind of thing can be like, learn from like a political strategist telling you that's what you need to do or by, you know, the two of us telling you that's what you need to do. So basically we're, we're screwed. Yeah, we're doomed. Seriously? Chris Rock was doing so well. He so was, well. He was doing so well after the Oscar slap. First of all, didn't go down when he was hit. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Responded well in the moment. 
kept hosting the show and then took some time out of the spotlight, kept to himself, and he was coming out aces well up until this week. Yeah, up until this week. So he was, um, I guess, doing a little bit of stand-up and he was riffing with the crowd, right, at this show um, in Phoenix. Um, and he was talking about how he was asked to host once again um, and that he turned it down. And that's fine. That's not the issue. The issue is that he compared this and said that going back to that award ceremony would be like Nicole Brown Simpson to go back to the restaurant where she left her eyeglasses before she was killed. And so this is my pick of the week of like, just shut the fuck up because getting slapped in the face is not the same as being a domestic violence victim and eventually a murder victim. Yeah, it's a tough look. Like, like I don't know. Like, there's nothing else to add here. But, like, just don't compare yourself to Nicole Brown Simpson yeah. or anybody who has suffered domestic violence. 100%. Full stop. New paragraph. Because I don't want to be the guy that goes, but yeah. <laughs> let it be clear. I agree with you. It makes it a little bit different. It was said on a stand-up stage, doesn't it? I agree. Yes, of course. Makes it way course. different than if he said it in an otherwise tearful interview with Oprah. Right. That, that would be a little bit of a different circumstance, but still it was a little much. And then Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman murders too just sort of hit that touch point because OJ got away with them. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit different than if you talked about someone that was I, I don't know, or maybe I'm just trying to find some angle on this other than rock. Come on, man. That's it for our show today. Make sure to connect with us on Instagram at SeriouslyPod, on Twitter at Sapria and Ryan, or just check out our website, SeriouslyPod.com. You bet. We'd love to hear from you too. Talk at SeriouslyPod.com. What do you think about what you're hearing on the show? What would you love to hear more about on the show? And of course, thanks for subscribing to Seriously on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. When you rate and review our content, when you tell your friends, that means a lot to us. It's simple to share it, too. If you're listening on your podcast app right now, just click share and send seriously to your friends. We'll see you again next Wednesday. Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwivedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Norlego. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tanji. Seriously is a Relay Project. For more, check out SeriouslyPod.com.